Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, it's time for The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio. Now, here's your host, Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and welcome to this edition of The Bill Alexander Show. I think I have a real treat for you because I think you've heard this man's voice before. Well, I know you have. It's just that I don't think you know who it is because he does many voices, and I don't know if you actually know his voice. He is the voice of Colonel Sanders on the uh, TV commercials for KFC. He has been uh, voices of Robin Williams. He has done, now he's doing Phil Donahue, which I have a lot of questions about that one. And he's been in quite a few movies, uh, such as Apollo 13 and uh, things like that with Ron Howard. And best of all, his mother is Marion Ross, who was Mrs. Cunningham on Happy Days. Jim, Jim Meskimen, how are you doing today, sir? Good, Bill. Thanks so much. Yeah, the, probably the best part of my career is that I am the son of Marion Ross of Happy Days. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually, that probably probably have quite a few stories about that, too. Sure. Well, it was a long period of, of my life and uh, my formative years growing up. Uh, that show was on from, <clears throat> I was about 12, I think, when it started and, uh, and ran for 11 more years after that so it was a long period for for me a big formative period for my mom and she became an icon and uh things changed things changed so i i go through your list of the things that you have done like i said you're colonel sanders that's you're right. also that's right on your uh, on your radio on your tv for people like that i don't believe it this is the voice of colonel sanders yeah you were also george washington in a geico commercial uh, crossing uh, the Delaware Turnpike, which I think uh -huh. is a very unique commercial in itself. Yeah. Uh, you've done President G uh, George W. Bush. That's you've right. done Sir Patrick Stewart, Christopher yes. Walken, which I think your Christopher Walken is amazing. Thank you. Um, Robin Williams, Morgan Friedman. Mm -hmm. And you're now doing Phil Donahue. Well, I, cannot, I, yeah. <laughs> I cannot imagine a big calling for Phil Donahue. No, and it was uh, it was a once probably a once in a lifetime thing, but uh, it's for a show called Welcome to Chippendales, which is a a mini series or a limited series about the Chippendales dancers and their uh, rise to prominence. And a, a big part of it was that they were introduced to America on the Phil Donahue show, which I didn't remember uh, in the early nineties. So uh, yeah, I auditioned and won the role of, of Phil Donahue, and this is. Uh, to me, what Phil Donahue sounded like was kind of like, you know, just a normal guy, presentational, you uh -huh. know, a good announcer type guy. And uh, I studied a lot of stuff for the audition and watched him on YouTube quite a bit. And then on the day I went and, uh, and shot my episode, it'll be on December 13th, that particular one of Welcome to Chippendales. Which will be next week. So that's that's uh, actually really nice. I went back and I did a Google search of that Phil Donahue episode mm. um, uh, with the Chippendales. And they were dancing on stage and everything else. Did you watch that episode or did you just try to get the feel of Donahue and let them do their own thing? I didn't watch that particular episode. And I think our script was a, a little bit different. Uh, okay. So I, I, but I just researched Phil and, and got, you know, did my very best 
impression of him basically and then on the day they uh they gave me a you know an extra white hair piece and uh a little bit of paunch and uh you know the the, the suit and the glasses and it was great going into the we were using a local uh community college as the uh, one of their one of their rooms uh, auditoriums as the as the set of Phil Donahue mm-hmm. and they had of course you know filled the room with uh what they call atmosphere people or extras mm-hmm. dressed in you know the the period clothes of the early 90s and and with their hair all these women mostly women uh, their hair and clothes like 1991 and I tell you, it was like stepping back in time. You don't think there's that much of a difference, but boy, there is a pretty big difference in the fashion sure was and the hair. You know, the women had their hair all pulled over on yep. one side. It's massive shoulder pads, and even the fabrics, everything was just like wow. The makeup, it was it was great to see. It that has to be interesting, being able to step back in time, and you you've done that um, in yes. like they said the movie Apollo thirteen. Yes. And also in the movie Frost Nixon, you right. went back to the early 1970s. Yeah. And how old were you in that time frame um, growing up? Rather personal question, but I was, um, you know, younger. I, I, <laughs> 1971 is Apollo 13, I believe. Uh, yes. Uh, so, yeah. So I was like high school, you know, and um and then 1977 was Frost Nixon. So a little bit after that, I was in my 20s or maybe maybe late teens. Yeah. So, yeah, it's fun to go back. And especially with Apollo 13, where we, uh, we I say we, the production, recreated uh, mission control of that time period mm-hmm. down to the last nail head and uh, the drop ceiling and everything. I mean, you'd walk into that soundstage and you you did not know you were in a soundstage. There was not like vast uh hangings with lights and and things to to kind of uh, make it look like you were in a theater it was nothing like that it, it looked like the the actual building because the way they shot and uh frost nixon we went uh, mostly we worked in homes because uh, the action of that takes place in a in a home in a private home uh so yeah it, it you do feel like you're going back in time a little bit because all the objects of that time are there you know the, i remember there was a kitchen set that was part of you know because they they redid the mm-hmm. whole interior of the house the dining room and all the spaces in that home and you know they put in different old old-timey kitchen utensils can openers and <laughs> things and uh you know they're very they're very different looking than kitchens of today i'll say that so you were in the teens when you did these other, did you remember any of that history or was a lot of that news to you at the time? Cause uh, I doubt you knew anything about the, uh, the, the Frost Nixon, <laughs> but the space program, you probably knew a little bit about when you were 13 years old. Yeah. But only, only very, that particular one. And part of the, part of the story of Apollo 13 that they mentioned in the movie, that's a plot point is that America is so, uh, uh distracted by other events going on at right. that time that they they aren't there's not tremendous viewership or interest in apollo 13 which was going to be another moon landing and uh it's just kind of you know people sort of don't pay a lot of attention to it so i i do not remember it really from that time period i was i mean i was 12 or 13 i had lots of other things to think about <laughs> and uh <laughs> not none of them very productive but when i was uh in my 30s and in the movie Apollo 13, I was able to study up on it a lot. And I was fascinated by the science of it and fascinated, 
just as Ron and Tom Hanks were by, you know, just what was achieved and, and what was done by whom, because they were all a lot of, a lot of feisty young people that uh, pulled it off. So the movies that you have been in, do you have a favorite role or a favorite film um, well, that you've I, been I, in? Yeah. I usually consider that Apollo 13 is, is my favorite because I learned so much and it was such a, it's such a great film and it's such a great story. And I think Ron Howard did a fantastic job of presenting it and, and really husbanding this, this story so that people really get it. And it's an unusual film because it, you know, it is very thrilling and suspenseful, but even if you know the ending, your heart starts to pound at the end right. and you start to worry for those people. And as I also also have noticed many times is that, you know, mostly in, in films today, action films or thrillers, uh, the enemy uh, or the the antagonist of the film is you know some maniac or some mm -hmm. despot you know and and in this film it's not it's the physical universe it's the challenge of space and the vacuum of you know being outside Earth's atmosphere uh, that's the villain and and it's about how human beings actually did uh, confront and and face up to that challenge so it makes it kind of unique there's not a, not a whole lot of stories like that. Should I ask you who is your favorite director? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know the answer. I mean, yeah. I, I've worked with some great ones, but Ron Howard gets uh, singular, and he gets better and better. I don't know if you saw uh, Thirteen Lives, his latest film, which is no, again, I have not about, seen it yet. It's about humanity against the elements. It's another one like Apollo Thirteen, and he tells it brilliantly. And it was so uh, stressful to watch it. There's so much suspense. And even though I didn't know the outcome, I knew the outcome. Right. Was, I, it didn't, I was sitting on the couch with my wife. I'm like, I, I am just shivering with anticipation. <laughs> I don't know if I can even watch this movie. And uh, indeed, we watched it over a couple of nights because it was just like, oh, my God, I, I can't take it. Right. I, can't take it I have to sleep tonight. So Amazing. knowing Ron Howard in his in, yeah. in his happy days period right. and you probably being on the set at the time mm -hmm. did you ever see this creativity come out of him then did you know he was going to be a great director or is it just something that just developed over time well i knew he was going to be a director because he spoke of it often and he was working on screenplays and i read some of his early screenplays and indeed i, I actually worked for him on weekends for his first uh unfinished feature that he was doing on his own money in his own time, which was a 16 millimeter film that we never, we never quite finished uh, because he struck a nice deal with Roger Corman, probably a nice nicer deal for Roger Corman than for Ron. But uh, if Ron starred in Eat My Dust, uh, a cheap you know, car crash mm -hmm. movie, then uh, Roger Corman would allow him to direct another cheap car crash oh, really? movie, which he wrote with his father. Rance Howard. So uh, then he dropped the project that he was working on and went over and did that. And now uh, I knew he would be a director. I did not know that he would become one of the foremost directors in the world. I I, I should have assumed that, but I, I have to say the writing wasn't on the wall for me. Uh, not that I knew, you know, even what directing was about at that time. But um, it's it's hard to predict when somebody's going to just move uh, in time into a, a place of such prominence. I also didn't realize my mom would become America's mom. And so, mm -hmm. so apparently I, you know, there's a, a lot of lack of imagination on my part. 
So um, with with Ron Howard, that 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 vignette that you did, that movie that's unfinished. Yeah. Has there ever been talk about redoing it and finishing it, or oh, is it, it actually stuck did, on a shelf? Did, no, no. He he did sell the project, so he did sell. He didn't finish the film we were working on, so that's okay. Lying okay. lying in a can somewhere, or or in the garbage somewhere. But he did take the project and sell it, and they made it as a TV movie, uh, and another person directed it. So he okay. You know, he, it did survive in some way. What was the movie? I've never seen it. I, I, what did they wind up being called? I think it was called Leo and Lori. And it, oh, starred, okay. Don, it starred Don Most and uh, Linda Pearl, I believe. Who was both on Happy Days. Yeah, Don Most yeah. played Ralph and Linda, Linda also guest starred on, on Happy yes. Days. Um, so your mother, Marion Ross, Mrs. Cunningham, became America's mom. And a mm -hmm. lot of people that don't remember happy days were introduced to your mother on the seventies show. Yes. And that had to be really interesting for her to go from a, a, a clean cut atmosphere of the 1950s and then go into the seventies where they're talking about sex and drugs and everything very open on the set. Mm. Did she have an issue with that or was it she just an actress and she was doing what she needed to do? You know, she's a she's a lifelong actress, my mom, and uh, she just loves characters and she loves people. So I am I imagine she she attacked it with the same kind of gusto that she attacked uh, the Marion Cunningham assignment. And, uh, you know, I mean, she's done. Uh, Eugene O'Neill plays and mm -hmm. she's done, you know, very difficult dramas, Tennessee Williams stuff. So she, she's a really strong actress and uh, I don't think anything throws her. So what got you into doing impressions? Oh, it's just, this is an interest of mine, you know, as a kid uh, doing voices, my mom demonstrated to me that it was fun to do accents and to do, imitate people. And it was okay. perfectly Okay. Uh, you know, it was kind of coin of the realm around my house to do voices and, and imitate people. It was like, no, no big deal. Nobody, nobody shut you down for doing it. And, <laughs> and it was fun. You could have a laugh. And so I, I've always been interested in that channel of communication. You know, the, what you can hear, what you can listen to. I used to listen to talk radio when I was a kid all the time. I'd love to hear people's voices. You get a lot of information about people just mm -hmm. from their voice, you know. Are they tired? Are, are they well-educated? What part of the world are they from? You know, are, are they lactose intolerant? You can tell <laughs> all, all kinds of things. And then they, then they express themselves in different ways. They have funny expressions and sayings and, and, uh, you know, humanity is infinitely fascinating and uh, AI notwithstanding. So uh, I, I like to, to imitate people. And I, as a kid, I did it as a, for fun and also as a little bit of a game, you know, can you sound like this person? Then when right. my voice changed, I used it as a way of entertaining my friends in high school and making them laugh. And, and, uh, and then, you know, it, it was like, it was like a skill that I had developed that I really didn't have any special designs for. I didn't have any kind of goal, although I admired Rich Little and other people of the time period. I didn't see myself in a, you know, powder blue tuxedo out in front of some Vegas crowd one day. I just didn't right. picture myself that way. Um, subsequently, I, you know, in recent years, I've, I have done something like that, but uh, I didn't plan to do it. It was just one of these skills that when I at last was a young man in New York City trying to get started in show business, I found, well, you know, I'm a little, just a little better 
than most of my actor friends at doing this. And that opened up some doors for me very early on uh, so that I could work and uh, do recordings and radio commercials and promos and things that involved impressions. And then, you know, I, I would just kind of haul it out every now and then because I realized, boy, for, for better or for worse, audiences get a big kick out of, you know, if you just suddenly become Patrick Stewart, for example, and you just drop your other uh, personality entirely and become a different person. There's something very amusing about it, which is something that, you know, of course, Robin Williams used to, to great effect all the time. He would change on a dime and uh, something marvelous about it. You know, it, I think it demonstrates something about the human spirit too, uh, how expansive it can be and how ever-changing. So then I began to really kind of put it to work. So when you got the job for uh, KFC as Colonel Sanders, uh -huh. because at one time they were actually hiring actors who, portray him yeah um they had i guess it was jason alexander there were other ones like that were doing it at the time and then all of a sudden they got rid of the colonel and they had you come in as the voice and you're looking at it as third person where you never see the colonel right you sometimes see his hands or the bucket or right something. yeah so yeah. That is to me, that's a very clever idea to do that because he's still in the program or in the commercial, but you don't know who he is. Do people recognize you as the colonel now, or do you have to go into the voice for them to get it? Oh, yeah, no, no one does. No, no, <laughs> it would take an incredible leap of imagination, I think, to just, just suddenly pluck that out of the air. No, I have no to let pun them... intended, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I said pluck. <laughs> yeah. So, no, so I mean, how did you come up with the colonel's voice? Well, I didn't. I mean, I just listened to the colonel. When I grew up, uh, the colonel still did his own advertising. Right. I probably listened to 100 hours of, of colonel commercials in my lifetime. So for me, it was like, I recognize his voice very well. And there's a certain quality that it has, which is uh, not Southern exactly. It's more because he's from Indiana. So he right. has a slightly different accent than a, a, a real Kentucky Fried Colonel, or a Kentucky uh, Colonel, rather. He shouldn't be fried at all. I don't <laughs> recommend you frying a Colonel. So that voice is so in my mind, I could never shake it anyway. So, And I, I have enough control over my own voice where I can replicate it pretty well. Okay, And it's so much fun to do. I, en I enjoy, I really enjoy being Colonel Sanders. He was a re really unique kind of American, an entrepreneur. A, a man of faith, a, a man of hard work who represented the same kind of gumption that my mom, Marion Ross, represented okay. to me of like, pull yourself up. My, my mom was a child of the Depression. She was born in, in you know, in, in the late 20s. And um, so the, <laughs> the philosophy of that time was just, you know, get off your butt and do it. Uh, nobody's going to do it for you. And I think the, the colonel's the same way. So they're they're kind of like two peas in a pod. It's interesting, and uh, I respect that. I respect that viewpoint. You know, make it make it happen. Even my mom, she says you can be anything, but you have to make it happen. Right now, there's one thing I did not realize is that you were one of the voices in the original Thundercats. No, that's not true. Oh, uh, not true. No, I was a character designer. Oh, okay. Thundercats as a as a visual artist as a cartoonist so you are a cartoonist you're an impressionist you're a voiceover artist and you're an actor 
but but and not comedian. all at the same time. But not all. <laughs> <the same. laughs> hey, if you could do it at the same time, that'd be a neat Vegas act. Would, to be honest with you, it would be pretty amazing. And ride a unicycle. Yeah. No, I, so, I got. I supported my my act my early acting career. I supported in New York by being a cartoonist illustrator, and I worked for Rankin Bass, and I designed the characters and vehicles and weapons for the very first Thundercats show. So what training or skills did you have to do that? Did you go to school to do that? Or did they say, here, we want to teach you how to do it? How did that work? Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, I knew how to do it when I got there. I, you know, I'd never designed uh, for television before, but uh, I had designed cartoon characters all my life. I'm a self-taught cartoonist. Okay. Uh, I used to read Mad Magazine and I just loved to draw. I'd spend hours and hours drawing and I learned to draw uh, on my own. And then when I was a bit older and in school, I would take life drawing classes. And I really, I thought that was probably going to be my career. So I worked very hard at it. I worked for Hanna-Barbera Studios too, when I was about um, 17 or 18. Uh, and then I got this job for Rankin Bass, but I also received some very formal art training uh, in college. And I lived in Spain and I studied uh, realist oil painting with a, a Spanish master and lived in, in Spain for a couple of years, just focusing on that. So I did get some hard training there. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, to make a very long story quite short, I decided that I needed a more social art form for okay. my own happiness and sanity. And so that's why I got into acting because I also loved acting. And I realized that acting is something that you do with other people and painting is something that you do pretty much alone all the time. <laughs> right. So I, I and, and at that time of my life, I was like, I do not need to be alone this much. It's just too tough. So prior to COVID, um, you were doing stage shows, correct? You yes. were going out and entertaining. Yeah. Um, since COVID, are you planning on doing that again or are you just going to stick with online stuff? Uh, no, I'd love to go out again. And, and I have done some, I just did some charity shows this last weekend. Uh, and I, I'd love to do more. It, it's great to get in front of an audience. It really is lovely right now. I apparently we're having some sort of uptick and something. So people are a little edgy, but you know, I think it's going to change. I think it has to change because we are a social species and uh right. all my life people have done shows and you know the show must go on you have the flu you still go on <laughs> I, i've done plenty of shows you yeah. know in my in my time where i didn't feel so great or the audience was hacking and wheezing so like uh, you know it's planet earth what are we going to say so I, I i look forward to doing more live shows but i will also uh i mean i've got a tremendous amount going on online i've got my youtube channel with over 3,500 uh, little little videos. I've got uh, my TikTok has been blowing up lately. I've got a couple of them that have really, really taken off of, of my impressions videos, and I'm continuing to feed that beast. So, uh, and Instagram and all the rest of them. So, you know, I, I, I enjoy it. It's a great way to, to hit a world audience, you know, a global audience with what I do. And um, yeah, it keeps me creative. It keeps me feeling fulfilled and uh it when keeps you challenging. started when you started acting impersonating voiceover stuff like did you ever think you had a you had to market yourself the way you do now to be to stay relevant in the people's mind because you like you said the tiktok the youtube and all that mm. 30 years ago you didn't have that 
No, I I did a lot of marketing, but I did it the hard way. I did it the old way. I did it with envelopes and paper and stamps mm-hmm. and uh, sending out cassettes and uh, you know VHS tapes. And I I've always been a a person who um, was not averse to self promotion. And I don't okay. mean it in a you know I don't mean it in a a negative way. I I think you have to, particularly if you're a one man band, as I have been a, a lot of times in my life. Uh, and a lot of our actors are when they start out, uh, you have to you have to make your peace with letting people know what you do well and uh, kind of putting it in their face again and again. Uh, this is what all marketers do for every kind of product in the world, whether it's Coca-Cola or, you know, whistles, right. <laughs> dog whistles. Uh, you know, they, we have to constantly be reminding people that we exist and that there is a need for them. So um, I've I've been doing it a long time, and now I'm doing it uh, much cheaper because, of course, all this social media stuff doesn't cost you anything but your time, and uh, you know it's 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 a way to be to keep relevant. But it's it, it is kind of mind boggling to to you know to take your point, kind of mind boggling the amount of of content that a person has to create, which I guess is why people are kind of uh meandering over to look at to see how ai will help them and to create things but i think we lose something when we're not actually creating it ourselves and we're not come from a live human being i think there's a, there's a little factor there that's missing yeah, I, I agree i agree with that i really do um what other i know you have uh something coming up on apple tv here real soon yes it's going to be released Yes, and I, I cannot I cannot understand why it isn't released yet, but because uh, we did it, we've been working on it since early last this year, and it's called the Big Door Prize, and it's a very funny series that'll be on Apple TV, and um, it, it stars the wonderful Chris O'Dowd. If you know that Irish actor, he's a young actor and he's just funny. He was in the IT Crowd, which is a show I've absolutely fallen in love with, and he's in our show too. He's the star of it and a really charming guy. And it's a fun show about a, uh, a very high-tech fortune-telling machine like that uh, like that uh, Zoltar machine that landed in Big, you know, where it, it purports to give uh, a person their, their actual fortune and destiny. And right. it uses all this high-tech metrics and then spits out a little card that tells people what they really should be doing with their lives. And when it hits this small town uh, of Deerfield, in the south it really just just breaks everything in the town because people start abandoning what they were doing and, and changing their lives in very drastic ways so it, it should be a very funny show it's by the makers uh, one of the producers or one of the showrunners of Shit's creek if you saw that show okay and it stars some very talented actors um anything else having coming up i know you have the uh the the welcome to the Chippendales. You have the Apple TVs or anything else coming up in the next so oh, say three or four months. Uh, I did an episode of Young Sheldon. It'll be on just a little. Oh thing. really? Okay. Yeah, that and uh, there's an episode of Hunters, that uh, Al Pacino Nazi hunting show. That's uh, yes. One of these days they'll announce that, and uh, you know, I I it's funny you can do a I, I, there are projects that I've done that have not been released yet and i did them years ago there are some that i did last month that have already come and gone it it it, i don't know what it all depends on but whoever schedules things has the grand plan in mind i'm sure in the meantime i just try to stay busy i do audio books 
Uh, I have an online course for people that are interested in marketing themselves and in uh, growing their acting career. And that's at uh, jimworkingactor.com. That's a series of videos and eBooks about what I do to keep busy, keep working, keep building a career. So um, there's that. And then I'm, yeah, I'm writing a new live show. Oh, what's the live show going to, um, what, what are you going to be dealing with in the live show? Well, I'm going it, to, it's going to be more autobiographical and um, it's going to uh, have a lot of impressions and uh, okay. uh, it's, 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 it's still a warning, but uh, I, I have some very fun ideas in mind. So hopefully it'll be very entertaining. So how do you think COVID affected the acting industry, the stage performance, everything else? And do you ever think it's going to be back to where it was before? I think it could return. Uh, I think it was devastating, uh, obviously, but I, I have hopes that it will return. We went to New York, my wife and I, and saw uh, The Music Man recently, last month. Mm -hmm. And uh, audience full of people having a great time, stage actors on stage doing a great job, Hugh Jackman, Sutton Foster, uh, outstanding show. It was as if COVID never existed. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, more power to things like that, say I. Which is great, because I'm glad to hear that stuff's finally happening. Um, Jim, before I let you go, is there anything else you want to talk about um, that you want to bring up that you're going to be doing or uh, promote your websites? Yeah, I'm on, uh, like I said, I'm on TikTok, Jim Meskimen, uh, also on Instagram and YouTube, at Jim Pressions. And uh, yeah, I love to love to meet people online. If you see my videos or comment on them, I usually respond. And uh, we put up uh, at least one video a day on my YouTube channel. Uh, I do these uh, celebrity fortune cookies where I, I open up a fortune cookie and read it in a celebrity voice. I spin a wheel and get the celebrity. I've been doing that for, <laughs> doing that for about four years every day. Uh -huh. And uh, that's my own little show. And, uh, you know, I just, I think that in these, you know, if I, if I have any kind of message in these troubled times or these difficult, challenging, crazy times, it's, uh, you know, people say, what, what can one do, you know? And w one thing I think is useful is that you can always try to set a good example, you know, whatever else is going on, you can try to set a good example for others. And sometimes that's, you know, just a, a better way of, of looking at it than trying to, I don't know, navigate through these complexities. What would you do that would set a good example for someone else to do? So that's what I try to do. And then my final question is, do you have a favorite impression that you do? Well, you know, lately I've really enjoyed being Patrick's <laughs> marvelous uh, character. And people seem to love him a lot. And, you know, I, I just think the older I get, the more I feel like Patrick Stewart anyway. So why not, you know, adopt this very courtly and, and polite manner uh, as often as you can, you know? That that is that is fantastic, Jim. Thank you very much for joining me. I really enjoyed it, and uh, the best of luck to everything that you have going on. And hopefully, we can talk to you again in the future. Bill, I'd be happy to talk to you anytime. Thanks so much. Hey, a big thank you goes out to Jim Meskimen for joining me this evening. What a blast that was to talk to him about his career and projects he has coming up. For example, Welcome to the Chippendales that was uh, just released on Hulu and um, him playing Phil Donahue. And also, as he said, he'll be on Young Sheldon and he'll be doing other things that you will recognize him in. And now that you heard him, 
you now know that he's Colonel Sanders in the Kentucky Fried Chicken commercials. So again, great to have Jim on the program. Hopefully to have him back sometime in the future to talk about other projects he's working on. And uh, again, just great to have him on the show. And I'm really glad you were able to join us on this edition of the Bill Alexander Show. Guys, you have a great night, great day, great afternoon, whatever time you're watching or listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a million-dollar baby production. For more information, go to thebillalexandershow.com.